Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. Income from bonds is crucial to pension investing, but for years their yields have been declining. This, say John Authors and Robin Wigglesworth, is precipitating a looming crisis globally. Demographic factors such as longer life expectancies and declining birth rates are putting strains on pension provisions, but some also blame the impact of central banks' attempts to stimulate economies, such as quantitative easing. So can mass poverty in old age be avoided? This report is narrated by John. The 400,000 savers and members of the Central States Pension Fund, set up in 1955 to provide for truckers in their retirement, received a letter in May from their board of directors with an unusual apology. It regretted to inform them that the fund would not, after all, be cutting their benefits because the US Treasury had blocked a plan to do so. Central states wanted to cut benefits because it feared that it would go bust, as its assets of nearly $18 billion can't cover the benefits of more than $32 billion it has promised to pay out. The plan to cut pensions now was part of a rescue package intended to avert total disaster later but the idea came under fierce attack in Congress and from unions. In the letter, Central States warned, Central States Pension Fund remains in critical and declining status and is projected to run out of money in less than 10 years. Many more pensioners and savers around the world are likely to receive such letters and many more politicians will face the same impossible dilemma. A demographic crisis for pensions driven by longer life expectancies and declining birth rates has now become critical thanks to historic low bond yields across the world. Income from bonds, especially government and fixed income bonds, is a bedrock of pension investing. Years of declining bond yields have made it far harder for funds to buy an income for their members, leading to desperation tactics like those seen at central states. As anxiety mounts, Some politicians are laying the blame for a looming pensions crisis at the feet of central banks. Baroness Altman, the former UK pensions minister, said this month that pension funding had reached crisis point and blamed the Bank of England's quantitative easing policy of buying bonds. She said, The emergency to pension schemes has been caused by QE. I don't see how it is reasonable to ask companies with pension schemes to fill a £1 trillion hole and put money into their businesses as well. It doesn't add up. Staff at the Bank of England say they recognise the problem but are not apologetic. According to Andrew Haldane, its chief economist, the central bank's top priority must be to stimulate the economy. He said, I sympathise with savers, but jobs must come first. The problem is clearest in the UK, where guilt yields have tumbled to unprecedented lows since June's vote to leave the EU. 
According to Mercer, the actuary, the UK's 350 largest listed companies face a shortfall of up to £149 billion in their pension plans, with the expected cost of their guaranteed payments to pensioners, £870 billion, far outstripping the assets of £721 billion that they hold to cover them. This gap widened by £10 billion in five days after the Bank of England's cut interest rates at the end of last month. Bond yields have been falling globally since the early 1980s, initially in response to the US Federal Reserve's success in bringing inflation under control. Meanwhile, the returns on stocks, where pension funds put most of their assets, have been hurt by two major market crashes since 2000. In the US, the assets held by pension funds have roughly doubled, up 105%, since 1999, but the cost of their liabilities to pensioners has almost quadrupled, up 278%, according to the actuarial group Ryan ALM. The result is enormous pension deficits. In the US, pensions run by companies in the S&P 1500 index were underfunded by $562 billion by the end of last month, according to Mercer. Nearly $160 billion wider than just seven months earlier, thanks to further drops in bond yields. For US public plans, which are allowed to assume far higher interest rates than are available in the bond market, which therefore makes their liabilities look unrealistically cheap, the problem is far worse. Joshua Rao, a professor of finance at Stanford University, estimates that their total deficits, if liabilities were priced in the same way as corporate plans, would be about $3.4 trillion. Alistair MacDonald of Willis Towers Watson, an actuarial consultant, he says, it's existential. That's the one word summary of the scale of the challenges. You can pull different levers, but the declines in rates is an existential problem for the entire pension system. Low interest rates also lead to higher valuations on equities, which make up the bulk of most pension funds' portfolios. With stocks more expensive, expected future returns are lower, making the problem of meeting pension promises even more severe. Carsten Stendervad, who heads ATP, the $110 billion national Danish pension plan, says, It's scary and it's surreal. First, if you're in the business of offering annuities, your product just became very expensive to produce. But secondly, we can see that the impact of QE is affecting other asset classes as well. That's the scarier part. There's nowhere really to hide. Any solution to the problem involves individuals saving more and companies investing less, and thus counteracting the intention of easy monetary policy, which was to stimulate spending. Antti Ilmanen of AQR, a large US fund manager, says that for a given retirement income, when the market doesn't do the work for you, you've got to do the saving. It hasn't been much discussed in the context of macro stimulus, but it's a reason why it's been hard for low yields to stimulate spending. Rob Arnott of Research Affiliates says the natural response for investors facing a zero yield is to stop spending, save more and put money into markets actions that lead to asset bubbles. He says, The behaviour we are seeing is exactly what you would expect given that framework. People stop spending. It's Keynes' liquidity trap, but for completely different reasons than the ones he predicted. The problem is greatest for defined benefit plans, which can only escape their guaranteed payouts through bankruptcy. 
Detroit's bankruptcy settlement, which saw non-uniformed retirees take a 4.5% cut in their pensions and lose their cost of living adjustments in June 2014, showed the stakes. Starting in the 1970s, many companies stopped offering defined benefit plans and shifted to defined contribution pensions, such as the widely used 401k in the US. With these plans, there's no guarantee of an income to the savers. Because these remove risk from companies, DC plans are very attractive to employers, and they now account for 48% of the $35.4 trillion pension pot in 19 developed countries, according to Willis Towers Watson. The risk falls on individual savers themselves, and hence ultimately onto governments. That means low rates create the same risk of social crisis from DC plans as they do for DB plans. Many savers started contributing when it seemed reasonable to expect strong returns over their lifetimes. A popular metric was that savers who put away 8% of their income every year for 40 years would be able to build up an income of 75% of their final earnings by the time they retired. According to Mr. Eilmanen, this approach would have worked with real returns above inflation of 5.5% per year. This is roughly what a US-based portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds has achieved since 1951. But if future returns drop by only 2 percentage points to 3.5% per year, savers will need to put aside almost double that at 15% of their income. With bonds and stocks now historically expensive, 3.5% is, if anything, optimistic. Société Générale's Andrew Lapthorne illustrates the problem a different way. If someone today invested $100,000 in a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds, they could expect a return of $21,800 over the next two decades after costs. Ten years ago, that same investor might have expected to make $60,000. And three decades ago, $150,000. But even if historic rates of return had continued, most US investors have failed to put enough aside to provide for their retirement anyway. At the end of 2013, the median 401k plan held by US households near to retirement had a balance of $104,000, according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. Following the typical actuarial recommendation of withdrawing no more than 4% a year, This would provide an annual income of only about $4,000. The deficits for DB plans are only the most visible symptom of the problem, therefore. Low bond yields and expensive stocks are a challenge to everyone's retirement, whatever the scheme or country. Jay Love, US head of DB investment at Mercer, says, when you boil it down, it's a fundamental theme that affects the entire pension industry. But DB pension plans are adopting several different strategies to avert disaster. The UK was first to adopt liability-driven investing, where pension funds try to anticipate how their payments are likely to move and buy the investments that match them. In practice, this means buying more bonds. Globally, a survey by McKinsey found 62% of big institutions already use liability matching, while more than 90% intend to extend the practice. But as bond yields fall, adopting such a strategy becomes more expensive. And by buying bonds, liability matches tend to push yields down still further. A second approach 
is to take more risk. In the US, many institutions had flocked to hedge funds, pools of money originally designed only for wealthy individuals. Allocations to these alternative investments have grown from 5% of total assets in 1995 to 24% last year, according to Willis Towers. But institutions are growing disillusioned by hedge funds' high fees and recent poor performance. In the last year, big public pension plans in California, New York and New Jersey have pulled money from hedge funds as politicians attacked their high fees. In Canada and other countries, big public pension funds have branched aggressively into infrastructure and real estate and cut costs by running all of the operations themselves. A third option is to sell all the pension's assets and liabilities to an insurer. This gets the company out of insuring the funds, which is often not its core competency, in return for taking an upfront financial hit. Insurers are far better able to manage the risks. But this grows less attractive for companies as bond yields fall, increasing the fee that insurers are required to charge them. Some deals in the UK appear to have fallen through in the wake of the Brexit referendum because of this. There are ways to avert a true social crisis. Mass poverty in old age can be avoided, but the options are unpalatable. Joachim Fels, a global economic advisor at PIMCO, the bond fund manager, says, We will have to save more, work longer, and simply lower our expectations. That's the sad truth. But for some, such as central states, an ugly denouement looks unavoidable. Tom Nyhan, the pension fund's executive director, says it has promoted legislation to fix the problem, but without success, it just can't be sold politically. People are viewing it as a bailout, and the American people are tired of TARP and the Wall Street bailouts, he says.